0: Hello, everybody. James here. Episode 7 of the Franchise University with Shane Douglas, there he is the man himself. Give us the the, uh, the symbol of excellence, the new symbol of excellence in ECW especially. The new old symbol. Yes. uh, To explain to everybody, uh, we are going to be doing fan questions once more, but you'll be wondering, well, how can I write in for fan questions? Great question. You can't. So, uh, these were all questions submitted eight months ago, nine months ago, uh, actually, as we uh, film this. And we had so many questions for Shane on an old WSI interview that I thought, well, it'd be a shame to waste them all. So, I've got more of those. And then the next time we do a fan question thing, we will uh, ask for your questions yeah. for fresh uh, inputs, And I'll think of an email, think of a way of doing it and all that kind of thing. But for nice. now, we have... Uh, maybe about, I don't know, fifty minutes worth of questions for the franchise himself, and the first one is from me, because uh, I really want to know your opinion of it. Last year, Paul Heyman was doing a show for Inside the Ropes when a fan kept yelling and calling out Chris Benoit as his favourite wrestler and his boy, quote-unquote. Paul eventually bites on this because he keeps hearing it and then he can't let it go. And then he says the following. You could admire his work, he being Chris Menoir, all you want, but I'll give you my take on it since you want to keep on yelling out. My boy. Three people died in that house that night. I don't care about CTE. Three people died in that house that night. Only one person had the choice behind it. The other two didn't have a choice to die. So if that's your boy, buck you. As somebody with a medical background, we understand CTE a lot better these days than we did so many yeah. years beforehand. Some fans out there will immediately go to, Benoit was entirely incapable of making a rational decision and then will blame the CTE. And And there's plenty of evidence to support that he did have CTE. Mm. Others will say, uh, I think the uh, expression was something like an 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient uh, yes. uh, uh, that his brain resembled. But then a lot of eight-year-old Alzheimer's patients don't kill either. So it's a very, very interesting. uh, uh, There's no answer to it. But what is your opinion on Paul's response specifically there?
1: Paul's brilliant on the mic. Uh, Very bright guy. Um, So you know, there's a pretty well-known rule of the universe is like, don't go to the comedy club and try to raz the uh the comedian because they've done this ten thousand times and they're gonna they're gonna bury your ass right uh Paul no different um and you know my take on Paul saying that I agree with everything he said uh you know Chris was a great guy that I knew when I knew him uh when I remember getting the phone call from Donna Seaman uh sweet lady but good good friend uh she was involved in the WCW office and she was crying when I picked the phone up and that's how I would learned the information. And I thought that can't be right. I mean, there's got to be something more to this because uh, I had seen Chris multiple times, including having a Bowie knife pulled on him and put up in his face. And he always sat there with a little grin on his face, and he almost wanted to feel for a pulse. You know, like uh, nightly, uh, we would the three of us, me, Chris, and Dean, would go out. And without fail, almost every single night, some drunk moron in the bar would come over to the table and start flapping his gums. And Chris and Dean both knew I was a hothead. And before I could react, Chris would jump right up, put his arm around the guy and buy you a drink and walk him away from the table. It may not have been every single night, but it was quite often that would happen. That's the Chris that I knew. And so, and I don't mean to detract in any way from what the from the heinous acts that happened that night uh or that weekend, but if if Chris would have called me five minutes before Donna called me and said, Hey, put your kid on a plane and you know, let him come down and visit Daniel, I'd had no reason to even think twice about it. Would have never even entered my brain. So, you know, when you have somebody in the audience, and I agree with with Paul's comment, uh, you can admire his work because he was a phenomenal and ring worker, and he worked hard at it. Just the little things, an Irish whip. Watch how Chris Penn wanted an Irish whip. Uh, Watch how he, each time when he would do the flying headbutt, the perfectly stiff body. And, you know, just, I mean, everything, like much like Brett, because, again, I think learning up in that school initially, you know, that that style uh, of, of those Canadian wrestlers. Like the Japanese wrestlers have hallmarks that they're phenomenal at. The Mexican wrestlers, same thing. The the Canadian wrestlers. And you can see these things in, in Chris. I don't think any of us that knew him best had ever seen anything that would have made us think that any of that was even possible. Now, all that said, and I please don't anybody try to ascribe more to this than what the words coming out of my mouth. We've all been in marriages or relationships uh, where you're quite angry at each other for whatever reason. In my case, it was I left the underwear on the floor when I went to take a shower? Uh, you know, stupid shit like that. But there are times in every relationship where yeah, you know, you're at each other's throats. Thankfully, the vast majority of those end up in, each walk, and each walking their a different way and either divorcing or going to have it a drink or smoke or whatever and come back and you know, start back over again uh that was an aberration and i i, I agree with paul that i don't prescribe it to just what well, ct so free pass and that's that this is a lot more convoluted of a topic i mean we're talking about three human beings dead and like that to me is like an oh my effing god like this is like as bad as it gets. Right. I, unless four, I mean, that's the only way to make it worse. Uh, you know, it's, I'm heartbroken that in that moment or those moments that weekend, uh, as many people as Chris knew and was close with that, he didn't feel that he could pick a phone up and talk to somebody, walk outside and punch a brick wall, uh, run this car into a tree, whatever to let that tension out someplace else. Uh, you know, for anybody that's been in a marriage uh, or a close relationship like that, we've all had the, the time where you want to just, just react. And I think the CT probably is responsible for that. I don't buy that he was just this blank drone walking through his house, killing his wife and his kid and then himself and and doing all these things. But there is the, the, the steroid usage that, you know, when people hear the phrase roid rage, uh, I'd seen it quite often in my business. Uh, typically, roid rage is you do, you you flip out over the dumbest of stuff for two or three or four minutes. Then you walk away almost embarrassed that you lost your temper like that and uh, over something that, that trivial. So, again, hopefully not having CTE. I think it'd be impossible for me to put myself into that mindset, but I think once that bottle started tipping, like once that temper started rolling, um, the CT probably made it less capable for him to pull back on that. And I I have no doubt that he loved Daniel unconditionally. Uh, it's foreign to me because I, I, I cannot imagine in any way, shape or form ever hurting my boys. Uh, And the Chris that I knew, like I described earlier, you can see an incongruity there. There's something, those two trains are passing in the night. Those two things don't match up. So clearly something was off. Uh, If you'd have told me Chris would have killed his dog, I'd have been shocked by that, let alone his wife and and his son. Uh, I think D. Malenko put it best uh, when he said, anybody that knew what happened in that room is gone or in that house is gone. And so we're always going to be left to guess. Uh, it's it breaks my heart that that's you know a stain on Chris's legacy because he was such a great wrestler. But uh, everything Paul said was spot on. It's one thing for a fan to, to, to be able to separate these things and say, yeah, but he's a great wrestler. Yeah, he was. And unfortunately in life, everything is like this. Like I say, mm-hmm. the vast majority of life takes place in that gray area between the black and white. And, you, you know, uh, every one of us is capable of making a mistake. Uh, you know, this week there's this awful video of these young kids, 17 years old mowing this guy down and killing it and then laughing about it. Uh, you know, what are we creating in society? I think with Chris like the again the Chris that I knew couldn't imagine it and in hindsight now I have this image in my head also of this horrible thing happening. and Paul again his his comment, you know two people didn't have a choice in that. and you know, if you want to offer yourself by uh, please call somebody you know reach out to somebody if you ever have that, that feeling. But if your plan is to go out and being so mad like the the school shooter in Tennessee, right apparently angry because somebody in that school allegedly did something to her or him, you know, depending. Um, then go and shoot that guy. Don't go and shoot all these innocent kids and teachers. Uh but again, I think you see the the the, the disconnect in the human brain. To me, the idea of killing anybody for any reason seems pretty like would wreck me. Like even if it was by accident, if I wrecked the car and you know somebody else died in the other car that would just destroy me. So the idea of saying, I'm just going to go out and do it to do it um, or, you know, get so angry that I'm going to kill my kid or, or boys or my ex wife. uh, You know, it's uh, it it is so hard for us that knew Chris to, to put those things together, but in this isolated moment, like first of all, Paul's a brilliant on the microphone, right? So he's, he's not going to let some heckler, throw him off what he's got to do. And because it's so obvious what's being done, he has to address it. And he he addressed it the only way he could publicly. If Paul would have said, and I'm probably sure that you're going to probably get some people written and hey, Shane shouldn't have said that. Uh, I'm giving my honest opinion on things. None of it should have happened. Uh, but it did. And we know human beings do awful things, and sometimes inexplicably. And, you know, for the people left behind, I can only imagine the family. Uh, but for those of us that knew him, it's it's it just doesn't fit. You know, it would be like, you know, Moose as big and gregarious as he is. I'd be like saying, Hey, do you hear Moose killed his wife and daughters today? I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? And what, it just doesn't, you know, you can't see it. The same with Chris. And I'm not giving a buy or anything to it. It's just one of those mysteries. That's going to forever fester that there's never going to be a conclusion to Paul handled that. The only way he could handle it. And definitely at that, uh, What do you say to it? You know, yeah, Chris was a great wrestler, hooray! But then there's this nine million pound elephant in the room, right? It's uh, uh, you know, but but, but kudos to Paul, and I I don't think anything he said there was necessarily degrading to Chris's career. Like, he was addressing what happened, and uh, really in front of an audience and being televised, uh, recorded. What could you say? You know, I mean, I'd say, I don't think he could handle that any, any better than he did. Uh, A-plus from from, from, from from the franchise.
0: I uh, No, I appreciate that you've given a nuanced answer because it's it deserves a nuanced answer, but there's so many people out there who will say, no, it was definitely the CTE, or no, it was definitely this, or definitely that, and it's like, guess what? Yeah. Life just isn't that, especially in Amen. a situation like this. Life just doesn't, or an answer just doesn't fit nicely, neatly, into a little box and then yeah. you can say that's the definite reason. So I uh, always appreciate a nuanced answer to it. Uh, we well, will move Which on. is what
1: the it's what the human brain wants, right? We want exactly. it to be a nice, neat answer with a bow on it. Uh, yeah. So it's just a uh, an aberration and horrific thing, and forever question mark. We. Should. By the way, I just like little. little uh, I keep stepping on you. For the people that that are saying this was CT and that's it, and blah, you know, it's a it's a password. Whatever. I'd be curious how many of them have CTE. How many of them have been around people with CT? Uh, you know, I, I've read an awful lot about it. Um, and there are times I look at it and like when I can't find my car keys and they're like, Oh shit, this chair shots, you know, and then or somebody's name. The, the fact of the matter is, by the time you hit the ripe old age of 39, like I am, <laughs> is that uh you got a lot of bullshit up there, a lot of junk that's just sort of floating around, you know, the 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 bills due tomorrow or whatever. Um yeah, it's, uh, I, I would ask anybody out there just to please take a step back from it and understand that three human beings are gone. Uh, again, two without their consent or, or desire. And just a horrific, horrific chapter in our business. That should never happen, yet it does happen. So hopefully, I, I pray for everybody out there that it doesn't happen to them or their families. Now, we obviously, that was the heaviest question
0: that I've got for you. Uh, we're going to go for more frivolous stuff from now on. <laughs> <Whew>. uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, good.
0: Boss Ross, thirty-three, has said would love Shane's thoughts on the Revolution Group in WCW and how it came about. I remember watching the Revolution faction, and off the top of my head, you guys were never really mixed up with many people in the main event. Uh, Revolution, uh, how did it actually start? We know how it ended, but
1: how did it come about? So when when we had gone, and it's funny you ask that because I was just asked this question yesterday from a lawyer friend of mine. He's gone back and started watching ECW from the beginning and binge watched from beginning to end. He's now on WCW. And he threw the question at me, whose idea was it to put the triple threat back together in WCW? And I was sitting in my car at the coffee shop and I thought like, I actually, I had to Google it. Like, well, you know, I didn't remember us being together. We were, but they didn't call us triple threat in typical WCW. Why would you want to do that? That, Millions of people know. Oh, before I forget, um, before I'm sorry to interrupt, Shane, but uh,
0: we actually found out, or I actually found out that you, Chris Candido, and Bam Bam Bigelow wrestled one match as a trio in WCW. I just wanted to let you not, know that so it yeah. did actually happen because we were but arguing about this last No, you weren't called the triple threat. Of course you weren't. Yes. Why would you be? <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm sorry. I, I do reality. Carry on. No, I'm
1: glad. I'm glad you threw that in because I wasn't sure if it was. Hey, I, I just when I pulled it up and I and saw it, and I was like completely gone from my memory. Like no recollection of that at all. Then I, as I like reading it and stuff then like, it starts creeping back in a little bit again. As I was looking around the dressing room there, uh, I obviously had an affinity for all these guys, Chris Bam, Bam Dean, Chris Benoit. We had done stuff together. We've been friends. We'd traveled together. We had worked together. Uh, and you know, when you work with people that you enjoy working with, Makes this business a whole lot funner and, and and more manageable. When when you're with somebody you don't like, it's it's drudgery to go on the road. It really is a just drudgery. And uh, but as I was looking around, like there was there was always this overcast pall of the four horsemen over WCW, whether they were together or not at that moment. But there was always this pall, and I thought WCW needs something to not to erase that or it's the four horsemen, the most iconic uh, stable of all time, but they need something now to transcend this millionaire club and uh, new blood and, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to get this to a head and push it into a certain direction. And I, I, I strongly believe then, and I still believe in hindsight that it was time to move beyond, not that you're firing flair or Hogan or is putting them out the pasture they should have become the elder statesman excuse me in our dressing room and they're always going to be Hulk Hogan they're always going to be Ric Flair they're always going to be whoever uh but by this time it was time to move on and I it was my initial inclination to either reassemble that and then Vince Russo came up with the idea to for the four to to make it different because there was some less than palatable idea to mimic ECW and uh you know, and Perry being there, you know, Perry, I was a huge fan of Perry's work and Perry, you know, it's a, you know, Perry was a good guy to hang out with. And so, uh, he came up with the idea of the revolution. He, he's so been Perry. He, no, no, Dean, uh uh, 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 Vince, Vince Russo. I'm sorry. Carry yes. Yeah. So yeah. He, uh, I, we were, I forget what building it was. We were in the commissary in the, in the calf and, uh, he came in when you go back to that time. And I think a lot of times since when you hear Vince Russo say, my boys, uh, or my guys, he's talking about me, Dean, Chris and Perry, um, pulled us together and, you know, gave us the idea. I don't recall if he had the name revolution, but he, he certainly came up with the idea of putting the four of us together. And I had been thinking about it and pushing the idea for the triple threat to be put back together, whether it was me, Chris, and Bammer. Excuse me, which I don't think the three of us were all there at the same time, except for that, like, one, like, a brief moment that Chris came in. Bammer was there when I got there, left shortly after that. Then Chris came in, like, right around there. there was just a brief overcross of, of, of all those names. And... Uh, Again, I don't recall if Russo came up with the idea for the the name the revolution, but I do recall the night in uh uh Michigan, uh at the Palace, the Auburn Hills Palace, when they had us go to the ring and feign that we were going to burn the American flag, which of course we would have never been able to do after the 9-11. Um through that, they they had Jim uh, uh Duggan come down. We got heat on him with a rubber board of all things, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus, and uh, and then Brett came down, and that was sort of setting up for Chris and Brett to have their matches. And uh, you know, as being the one guy that had been, a, you know, a top card heel, you could sense the heat in the building that night was palpable. And I said to the guys in the dressing room, like, "Hey, if you need to go to the store, don't go alone." Like If we're going to the bar, the store, whatever, we, we need to stick together because if we separate out, the wolf pack will get us. And uh, it was that kind of heat. When we came back, the first reaction that I got backstage was J.J. Dillon. He goes, that was fucking disgusting. And I said, well, you should have said something in the booking meeting. Um, but it, it was major heat in the building, and it would have been money-drawing heat if, capital letters, if wcw had fostered it properly, had gotten it over properly, had put the right heat on it. Um, the fact that WCW's low-hanging fruit was for us to threaten to burn the American flag, uh, and then to save a Canadian out, to save it from a Canadian, <laughs> seemed I just sort of hodgepodge all over the place, right? And uh, you know, but the heat was there. I, you know, guy, if you watch me in the ring at that time, I am constantly gauging like I was taught sight and sound, you're listening first and then looking second to verify what it is you're hearing. And the heat in the building that night was money drawing heat was the kind of heat that people would have paid to see us get our asses kicked. And they would very shortly after that, I don't know if they got scared. I don't know if they politics played into it, but right after that, it started sort started of being like the idea of maneuvering into, uh, uh, Perry being in a dress and, you know, it was just all this, like all over, the, like somebody would come up the night and hey, let's do it to these guys or let's do, it, you know, me and the Viagra on a pool match and, and just stuff like that, that to me was like, yeah, cheesy, right? And not heat,
0: cheesy. Oh, goodness me. We're going to be getting to that at some point. For, further <laughs> on down the line of the podcast, we're going to pick some <laughs> –
1: so it's a really like, stiff subject, I tell you. It's, yeah, uh, no, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to talk
0: about, Shane. Let me tell you. Um, so, I'd actually started writing, reading out my own notes. Actually, after this question, uh, I remember the revolution for one lasting longer than it did. It really was only a few months, I think. But yeah. you weren't really mixed up with any of the top guys. You were just saying before, hey, we need to be moving Rick and Hogan, and you know, into like legacy uh, positions. Yes. And. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. The only real main event venters that you seem to be mixed up with was Kurt Hennig. And maybe Flair at some point, I don't know. But the only other thing is, is that like we've got you in the revolution. Mm-hmm. And what's your greatest asset as a wrestler? Your promos. Promo, yeah. Exactly. So, who better to do all the promos and talking for the revolution than Dean Malenko? Why was it Dean, who always seemed to be doing the speaking for the group at some point?
1: No, I I I don't recall that. Uh, They would uh, they wanted us to start the promo backstage and carry that to the ring. Hmm. Uh, I don't know to abbreviate time or just to make it different. Uh, But the one night little side comment to that is, uh, I would sit. I would start it off in the back, and as we're walking through them, would hand the mic over, and I think they wanted to sort of spread it out. Uh, so it wasn't just a flair talking for four horsemen, like the horsemen did like, like flair mm-hmm. would do the majority, right. But then Tully would say his matter of fact piece and then Arn would give you the look over the glasses and give you his blah, 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 raise his voice a hair. They were four very different styles. Uh, my guess is it was probably more that than anything that they didn't want to just be, you know, one, one specific, uh, flavor. Um, but we, how that would, you know, blur in like one town to the next we were backstage i forget where the night before we were in chicago and so i grabbed the mic they hit our music and I hey chicago and team running, he said it turned around said, it's columbus you dumb shit <laughs> you know, something like that and i i looked at him like i was like hey they, they piped that in i didn't say that it was <laughs> you, you just started losing sight of where you were but i i do think that it was uh uh probably I should say I know. I think it was probably that they wanted to have more of that horseman flavor because if you remember that that like in this time frame, there was the new horseman and then there was this and then there was the old horseman were back and then they were gone and then you know, it was just this sort of trying to figure a way to re-enter that you know to, to reintroduce that and uh, I think the major problem for us was that we on that booking committee. None of us had any allies on the booking committee, which, you know, should have been the, whoever the boss was at that time stepping in. Cause there was a lot of money being paid out for the four of us uh, to recoup investment. But, uh, it, it was clear, like, you know, within short, well, hell, within a, a few weeks or a month or so, we were all sent home. Um, uh, you know, after we had made, you know, our, our voices clear to, uh, to uh was obviously Bill Banks or Bill Bush, Bill the Bill that was in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made it clear to him that, you know, look, there's obvious heat between Benoit and Kevin for obvious reasons. And there's obvious heat between me and Flair. And there's there there was all this crossing heat that you know was was always nipping at at this situation, whatever situation any of us were in. And ultimately that uh, flushed WCW's uh, and Time Warner, then their investment in the four of us, which is a pretty out, pretty big outlay of you know a couple million bucks per year for the four of us, and you know weren't recouping it. Ironically, uh, the answer from the people that were doing that was to put us on camera. You know, so like we get rid of these guys and we'll go out there and we'll become that. the only time that I remember in that whole time frame of me having any kind of main event caliber matches was the match in Kansas City with Flair a month after uh, Owen had fallen to his death. And if you remember that match, there was this cavalcade of you know people being involved, first David and then Vince Russo and then Sting and there was all this this other stuff that so detracted from the match uh that uh in hindsight I would learn that that flair had derailed it with politics, hmm. um, you know, and and what again like that's really the Time Warner was stupid enough to li- listen to that, uh, you know, it, for whatever his reasoning. It's uh, you know we'd all love to be able to say, Man, I mean, I could be Shane Douglas of nineteen ninety five, six and seven. I can't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hair older and and a lot achier, um, you know, and and certainly aware of what I'm capable of in the ring and not capable of. These guys, I I would argue, far outstayed their welcome, far past their shelf life, and did detriment to their own legacies uh, in in doing so. Um, And at this time, again, if you look at the fact that Ivy League uh, management schools, MBA courses, were being taught on what not to do in management on WCW, Mm -hmm. I think is the epitaph that really underscores all that was wrong in WCW at the time.
0: Uh, now, I said that the first question was the last of the heavy questions, and I'd completely forgotten this one. So it's another one. I don't know if you in ECW this time, though. It was sort of touch and go, really, before you left. Archer Sue says, How did Shane Douglas, the roster, and the crowd react to the incidents in ECW when the dipshit in the crowd interrupted the ten-bell salute in honour for the recently departed Rick Rude? What was the mood of the roster and the crowd after that happened, and did it affect the rest of the show? Now, were you still in ECW at this time?
1: I believe so. Uh, So this would have been April,
0: April 99, this would have been around that time.
1: Oh boy, the the dates you got me on. Uh, It was, I want to say, and I might be wrong on this. I know someone's going to write it and I have it wrong. I want to say it was August of that year. It was like, like leading into fall time that I left. Uh, Well, the, the bellwether would be the, uh, the Breaking the Barrier show at the ECW Arena. That was technically my last day with ECW. I'm so probably, whatever the date I'm, is on that. I'm currently searching for this.
0: The last match I've got for you here is on the 15th of April 1999 against Just Incredible, and Rude died five days later. So we will presume that you weren't there for that incident then, shall we?
1: Yeah. I, I, I do remember there was some... I, I can't remember if it was Rude's or... Or Tommy Dreamer's grandfather, um, where there was, a, was just there. Like there Tommy there was Dreamer's a, grandfather. Boo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a. Uh, I, I don't know if I saw it on tape or I was there, but I remember being aware of it. Um, I don't think at that moment, like yeah, I think people were like, "Hey, shut the fuck up," you know. It's like a respect thing, but with the ECW audience that. You know, you, you came to expect the unexpected, you know, the, and you really can't turn that on or off. You can't say, okay, but in these type of cases, don't react. Uh, you know, we we always knew, you know, I've often called, the excuse me, the audience as being the sixth man on the bench for ECW. We knew that we could get a reaction from them, uh, that if we were to go out and throw somebody down with a halo, that was going to get a reaction a little more than we wanted <laughs> or thought. Would come but we you know we knew we'd have that reaction so you know i think initially the, the, my guess would have been whether i was there or not would have been that like hey shut the fuck up this is a respect thing and uh uh you know if, if the person remained w- w- my my guess would be that, that atlas would have reacted or you know somebody in the building would have reacted to quiet the person down but i'm sure there would have been other people like sabu who really take you know the uh uh, the respect factor of the industry, like as paramount, um, you know, would have been hot. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's one of those things that I, I when you said it, I'm I'm like it's it's a, I'm, I'm aware of it in my head, and I don't recall if I was there specifically or not. Uh, but I was I was in ECW technically the day of the uh, break the barrier show at the arena, and ECW was in Poughkeepsie that night, so that would have been my technical last day with ECW.
0: Okay then, uh, internet sleuths, find out which date that was. Um, we're gonna move on. Luke Warmstand, Houston. Uh, when you were in TNA, what was the atmosphere like when TNA was transitioning from weekly pay per views into weekly impact TV shows? Did you think TNA was growing into something special, or did you view TNA as just another wrestling promotion?
1: No, there was a sense that we were getting some momentum. Uh, when Bob Carter came in and we started doing the Wednesday night pay per views. And then we would jump on the private plane, his private plane or chartered plane and fly from Nashville down to Orlando and do the uh, the TNA tapings at the impact zone. There was a sense that there was momentum in the company and we had a fairly strong entity with the X Division. Uh, I remember being involved in the booking committee and the booking meetings that that was like a, a go-to for us. If we needed a, like something good in the ring, we would grab something from the X Division. And then shortly after that, I don't know whose decision it was, but they started blurring that line between the X division and, you know, the other people. And then suddenly it became, okay, uh, AJ Styles versus Kevin Nash or, you know, and and we stopped talking about the X division. So we had sort of splayed ourselves in jettisoning the one asset that we had that we could have built on. And at the time in the, in the business, it was starting to go towards these smaller guys that were, a lot more acrobatic and and what today would be called spot monkey uh you know they they uh there was a trajectory towards that in the industry the fans had grown tired of the lumbering big guys tackle no shell at that kind of thing and suddenly here comes these guys that are really talented and uh you know I, I know like working specifically with AJ AJ was very uh diligent about picking it up and and you know getting it to understand it uh, really open to the idea of learning and, uh, and we jettisoned that. So yeah, there were, at the time we went, started going to Orlando to do shoot the, uh, the televisions there. There was a sense that here we are suddenly when we're, we're in, we have two buildings on the lot, right? We have the uh, studio and then the, uh, the building where the green room and the production meetings all were and everybody's offices. And there was a feeling that, okay, we're the, the little engine is starting to chug up the hill. You know, but having been involved with a company like that with ECW and this little engine that could and just kept going, it was pretty clear that, uh, uh, in short order that with Dixie there, there was always this impediment an unnecessary impediment, uh, with all due respect to everybody outside of our business. I know what I know because I've been in this business for 40 years. I've been a fan of it for a lot longer than that. Um, and been a, a diligent student of it while I've been in it. Uh, and there's still stuff I learn. So the idea that we can hire some 20 year old, great writer of sitcoms to become a writer for wrestling, would, the same thing back would be saying, well, why am I sitting here talking with you? I should be in Hollywood writing sitcoms. Cause I've been a great wrestler for 40 years. Uh, they, they, they it doesn't, it's not interchangeable parts, uh, to understand the nuances of, you know, being involved in the ring and, you know, getting kicked in the head or slammed on your head or something, you have to get the match to a finish, uh, understanding how to get a character over, you know, all those things that I talked about funk earlier in the, in the episode two weeks ago. Uh, I, I think, you know, comes up now is like we're seeing all of this sort of blob be put into it. And the first day I met Dixie, uh, she followed me into the green room and she said, uh, you know, my father's really impressed with your resume and she starts reciting it to me. And she said, uh, you know, how impressed her father was with me. And if I were to give him one piece of advice, what would it be? And, you know, she had just been introduced to us at the production meeting. Dixie has a very professional way about her. You could tell she's been well bred that way, right? So uh, she knows the right things to say and she's, uh, you know, she's a, a, a very professional person. And then uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, whoa, one piece of advice. God, I can give him a million pieces of advice. And then it struck me not even paying attention as I'm changing to go do my on screens that the show has started and she's standing in the doorway and the monitors behind me. So my back is to the monitor. And I said to her, well, if I were to tell just one piece of advice, uh, I could give him a million pieces of advice, pieces of advice, but I would tell him to in no way, shape or form intend or try to be WWF2, WWF two, WWF junior, WWF light, <clears throat> btna one. And then I made the, to her <clears throat> the mistake of invoking ECW I said like ECW did uh we went for the 18 to 49 male demographic and we owned them <clears throat> her response to me was why would we want to copy ECW after all it failed before I could say anything to her something happened in the ring that show that had now started the monitor behind me and the fans started chanting in the impact zone ECW. ECW. So I my answer to her was I stepped back and looked at the monitor and looked back at her, back at the monitor and back at her like, are you getting the irony of this? Like You say ECW. We failed on a business level, but clearly the product even now still holds sway. And so clearly we did something right. Right from the time of her inception into the company, her insertion into the company, her brother Todd, uh, who was Fairly smart guy, pretty bright guy, as I recall. And Bob, who was obviously a bright guy, and very down to earth, uh, not at all like the other billionaires I had met before that. Um, Seemed to me that Todd and Bob really had the desire and the wherewithal to do the right thing. Dixie, however, came in, and it was always this plan to do A, B, and C. And she would say, well, I think we should do CBA. And we'd do CBA. And then I would explain to her why that, why, why it's not going to work. Like we we have to do this. If we're going to do, if we're going to go that direction, we're going to have to put these intervening steps in to make this make sense. And this went on for the better part of two or three years where she would ask my advice. I would give it. She wouldn't take it. In two weeks, we'd come back and I would get, Hey, you were right. How do we fix it? I would tell her that my opinion of what we should do. And she wouldn't do that. And then two, we say, Hey, you were right again. We should do Now what? And this went on for a couple of years to the point where just to entertain myself. Uh, one time I said to her something like, uh, I really think we should put AJ out there in like pink tutu and just you know see what he does with it. And she's like, listen, like I'm telling her like the, the secrets of the universe. Uh, you know, here comes uh, the, my Albert Einstein impression. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, like I'm pulling your leg lady. And, uh, and she just didn't get it. And not shortly after I left, there were always times with Dixie that we would need somebody to be the representative, the face of the company. If Terry Taylor went out, if I went out, Scott Demore went out, whatever, we were all sort of seen as wrestlers in the company. And she would always put her finger up like that and say, I'm management, not on air talent. And would never do it. And so we'd have to make up some hodgepodge of like some other way to get where we needed to be. So a month or two after I leave, I see her in the ring with Hogan doing a crab and taking the 3D through a table, and, and oh, somebody's been bitten by the TV bug, right? Suddenly, we're not so sort of management anymore. Uh, and you know, again, I think the shame of it is, is Bob had put a boatload of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, into that, and Spike too, mm-hmm. and the end result was nothing to show for it. Now you could argue that TNA is still floating along, and that's because of you know the other people from Canada that came in and all of that. My contention would be that with the talent we had come through there and the people we had working in the office, Terry Taylor and Jeff Jarrett and me and, you know, so many others, uh Dutch, Vince, uh, you know, so there was an awful lot of acumen in that production room that it failed in spite of that. Uh, And so you have to look for the obvious culprit is somebody not doing the right thing here. And then that one person would be Dixie, the one person that could make those decisions. And like she said to me one time I had gone and gotten uh Scott DeMoore come to me and he said, uh, Hey, Bob wants you to start finding buildings. Like in and around Pittsburgh, you know, as you've run Pittsburgh and Ohio and uh, you'll find some buildings. I found a phenomenal building in Chester, West Virginia. It's a uh, casino um, where ESPN at the time was the one uh, on ESPN too. They were doing boxing every Tuesday night live. So it's an incredible arena. Lights, sound, everything Taylor made. They wanted us to pay $1,000 to rent the building, but that included the building, rooms for all the crew, rooms for all the talent, uh, the venue, the lights, the sound, everything we would need, 1000 bucks, And all they wanted from us was to make two wrestlers available every couple hours to sit in the casino and sign autographs, take pictures. I took it to Dixie after working on this and pulling a lot of favors in. I take it to Dixie, and she said, I'll give that to, and she said a name that I'd never heard. I said, who's that? She says, it's the head of our live events. It's our live events coordinator. I said, we have a a live events coordinator? Like, we had never done a live event. And so I hand this stuff off. I find this guy, and I hand it off to him. never heard another word. Uh, Nick Busick, by the way, who passed away a few years ago, blacktop bully, he was working with the guy that owned the casino and got this for us. And so you can imagine a few months later, whenever I see him and I say, hey, how's that going? He's going, I don't know, never heard from anybody. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, this is a freebie as much as a freebie goes. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure there were a million instances like that, that. In, in spite of themselves, they, 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 just couldn't get over it in spite of the talent in spite of the money, in spite of all the things like getting buildings, incredible buildings for, for a thousand bucks, uh, in spite of all that, it still failed. And, and that to me, I think is just a, a sin, you know, from the money that Bob and Spike put in and for the, the fervor the fans put in for the effort, the wrestlers put in for the effort we put in, in the production meeting, uh, it failed in spite of all that. And that that's I mean, like WCW redux.
0: When I interviewed Eric Bischoff, he said very much the same thing. He said one of the real problems with TNA was the back office staff and just the, the, the cross wires and just some people who he just said should never have been there. But he didn't give any names, so I can't really. So, uh, <laughs> similarly, with uh, I want to bring up one thing with Dutch just to follow up. And one thing he said that was really frustrating to book TNA with is that some of the talent eventually realized – that instead of going to Dutch or Jim Cornette or Vince Russo or Terry Taylor or whoever, they could go to Dixie. And then all of a sudden yeah. Dixie would turn and was like, hey, I've got this great idea. Why don't we push so-and-so? And then yes. because it's Dixie coming from Dixie now, uh, the booking committee then has to work that into the uh, storyline. But um, I, we'll leave that for there because uh, – Well, there
1: there, oh. there is one tagline if I can throw it in. I won't use names. Okay. But I've had three wrestlers – since I was there and left come to me at different times and say that they were put in very uncomfortable situations with Dixie. And uh, all I can tell you is this was told to me by three different people at three different times, independently of each other. Uh, I had never seen that. Uh, I had never even heard any of that when I was there, Uh, you know, but I, I sort of kept to myself You know, we'd have the production meeting the night before in Jeff's suite. And that would be about the only time you'd see or hear, like, any real interaction with anybody. And after that, people would either, like, stay there and party or go off their way. I like being by myself. And so I'd be down in my room watching HBO or ESPN. And uh, then we would go to the building. and We'd have these meetings where sort of, like, playing off of what was decided last night. But there might be a change here or there. I remember one time there was an interaction, and this is why I wouldn't open my mouth in the production meetings. Uh, There was a match with AJ Styles, and the argument was, like, let's send him out first. And I thought, well, he's the bigger star in this match, and we're putting him over. So let the heel go first and get some heat, and then – Send. Well, Terry, Tanner, and I used to sit right next to each other. And most times we'd play tic-tac-toe On over the paper on the table. X-O, you know That kind of thing. And Terry, you know, likes to put his two cents in. And he raised it and he said, I think we should send the heel first. And uh, Jeff was sitting at the head of the table. And he went, like, he's looking at the paper and thinking it through. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, let's leave it like it is. And from now on, why don't you keep your... Did he say "fucking uh, uh, opinion" or "your stupid opinion"? Something like that to yourself, and I'm kicking him under the table, like, dude, like he, you got to respond to that. Like you can't just let him say that. And uh and Terry didn't. Um, and and much to my chagrin, after that, Terry had become very much a political beast. After that, Uh you know, I'd confided some things, and I'm like, this is where like my marriage is going south, and everything. And you know, I thought I'd known Terry for years at this point and confided some things into Terry that I later found out, like went into the whole decision of like letting me go. So, uh, you know, it's a uh, mixed feelings with, with, with TNA because I honestly believe that TNA had, you know, money's the biggest issue with wrestling. It's an incredibly expensive endeavor to start. So when you have that and you have the talent and you have the interest of the fans, it's like I said earlier, it's a sin that you can't make that work. Right. And, uh, it just like every time you get to a tape, like when dusty was there, there were brief flickers of, Hey, we're getting a chugging in the right direction. And, you know, then he would be gone. And then Russo would be back for the second or third or fourth time. And then Bischoff would be there. And then there was this, it just had so much of a WCW all over again, feel to it. And, uh, Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I think one of those episodes in wrestling history that you know those of us in the business, whether it be at the production meetings or in the ring or the dressing room, sitting there and scratching their head and going, "Like God, like we should all still be working for WCW." Technically, all he had to do was the right thing. That should have just always chugged along, and uh, you know, just those things that happen. You look and the fact that you still see those things happening today in the business. You go, okay, like is nobody paying attention to the history? Is nobody watching it? We just saw, I know this has nothing to do with the question, but we just saw Fox Jettison, right? And and what was an NBC Universal picked it up. Uh and, and Fox's publicly stated reason was we expected for all this money, we were going to get this many viewers per week. We never came close to it. Uh, so this deal, a lot smaller than the original one. I would guess that. People in, on the inside, even though it's at a billion dollar deal, are going yeah, but it's half as much as the last one. And where are we going to be at the end of this contract? You know because it's it's the arc of that is traje- tra- you know making the wrong trajectory. So uh, all of these things, there's ample history too in companies like ECW and companies like TNA. It's there in the record books. Just pay attention to it and do something different. Apparently, that's impossible. Yeah.
0: But, uh, well, you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing and uh, yep. expecting a different result. You said something um, at the beginning of when you were talking about uh, in the last five minutes or so. And you said... Oh, droning, three, droning on. <laughs> no, three wrestlers came to you and said the same thing, that they uh, that Dixie Carter put them in an uncomfortable position.
1: Mm, I don't think I said Dixie. I said we're put in uncomfortable situations. I'm
0: sorry. I'm um, sorry. Okay, so exactly what did you say? Because I've already misquoted you there. And um, exactly what do you mean? I, I, three,
1: three wrestlers at different times, independently of each other, had come to me and told me that they were put into very uncomfortable situations, like situations that were tantamount to sexual harassment. You know, if you if you don't have a choice in the decision of this, I, I'll do this or I'll do that or I won't do this or do that. Uh, to me, that's the very definition of sexual harassment my power my job I can derail yours if you don't do this for me Mm -hmm. Um, these are all male male yes Yes. so the fans and there's again a lot of information out there on this the fans can put those pieces together as they want okay um, we'll leave it cryptic.
0: Yeah, we'll have to. Apparently, I, I threw out someone's name there. I'm not editing <laughs> it out. Okay, um, next one is... Uh, I can barely oh, no, no, it. you got to
1: leave it in. If my, if my screw-up goes, stays in... Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll
0: leave- <laughs> hey, listen, I don't know if you implied it or not, but I certainly inferred it. So, hey, that's <laughs> what it is. Uh, next one is names... It's just a bunch of letters. Um, when did you realise that WCW was WC Dunn? So the, the day that you knew that WCW
1: was doomed? The night that it aired. Uh, I was <laughs> at home. my I, I was in the cast uh, with a broken uh, trapezium bone. And I sit down and turn the TV on. You know, and a lot of times, I don't know how people are out there with me. I got sort of like, my thumb just sort of like pushes buttons. And sometimes it's the right button, sometimes it's not. So I sit down and I click onto our show. And the show starts. I'm sitting there for a second, not really paying attention. one. Wait, this is WWF. Play over it. WWF. Something wrong with this remote. It, it literally took me five minutes. I'm thinking, there's something damn wrong with the television. Like I keep like banging, thinking batteries are bad or something. So I'm j- jostling the the remote around and punching the number in. What the hell! And I finally went like, wait a second, because if you remember the for the fans that may not remember this, not long before this, there was a rumor that circulated that WWF was buying us and like that in short order, like it was like, Oh, that's not true. That's not true. That's bullshit. And so like, it was like one of those things where it took my brain a couple of minutes to go like, wait a second, I'm on the right number. And it's the WWF holy shit. And all of a sudden the phone starts boom, boom, but people start calling each other. Right. So I was at home watching. um, And I remember like, it was like a meteorite falling on your head. You're like, holy shit. And my initial thought, again, shows you, you know, my faith in government, right, was that they're now monopolizing the industry. And so surely regulators are going to step in here, right? <laughs> They've been paying attention to the government lately. Um, so, you know, it, it was, I think on paper they had, Shane was the owner of WCW mm. and, uh, uh, and Vince on WWF. Uh, the, the, net result of that was it put thousands of wrestlers, not just in the two big feds, but across the country. Cause by this time now, you know, the, the, the smaller ones that were still, still hanging on at that point knew they couldn't compete against these two juggernauts. The, the industry had become bipolar at that point. And so it put an awful lot of people out and it, I think seriously hampered the product that was being put out by both companies and you know it became this just sort of okay, let's catch up with the Joneses, right? So they're remember there was the brief moment when WCW was live and they would put out, okay, well, here's what's gonna happen in that match. Well, you know, that can backfire on you too, because if I say to you, hey, Mick Foley's wrestling Steve Austin, and the finish is this, I would imagine a lot of wrestling, going, yeah. I like those guys. Let me flip over and see what that is, you know. And uh there was a not so covert attempt by WCW to mimic or become Mm -hmm. WWF-like. And I think that was really where WCW – because it had always been, in my time, from the time I could see it on television, wrestling into the business and then going there, that had always, between the two, they were sports entertainment and we were wrestling and giving the fans very different flavors. Uh, But once they started – uh becoming more wWf like I think that's where you thought like if you look if you're if you want sports entertainment you might as well watch the sports entertainment company that, that does it exceedingly well uh and there's vanilla and chocolate for a reason some like vanilla some like chocolate I'm a pistachio guy so uh you know but to give those different flavors and and, and I think the net result in spite of the fact that ECW failed long term with Paul's business stuff, the fact that the fans still chanted today was that that product itself was successful. It had captured the attention. And to me, that's the, the big surprise. That, and I know I'm rambling on this. Uh, when you look at AEW and I was just Todd Gordon last week and he verified for me that Tony Khan used to be at the shows and like, he was the only one that knew it. And like they were keeping an eye out for him and that kind of thing. And you would think that you would see some, imprint of ecw on their product uh again i think if you would mimic ecw try to be ecw like you'd fail because it's become like legendary status now but to me the ftw you know the tas line the fuck the world attitude like hey this is what the big companies are doing this is our response back to it and uh i don't see any of that in aew it seems very tna impactish to me like like following that trajectory which was the wcw model the failure so, I would contend, like, try something different because this clearly ain't ain't garnering. It's never grown the audience. So, still, oh, you singing? Oh, I
0: tell you, we could. Do you know? I think one day <laughs> we should actually do like an AEW show. We'll just watch an AEW show uh, 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 from front to back and comment. Yeah, yeah, love and comment to. the entire thing. We'll do that at some point in the future. Uh, just briefly, just with the last WCW W thing. Did you get paid out for the rest of your contract when uh, WCW I did. folded?
1: Yeah, but uh, what was her name? Uh, Diana Myers, yeah. who was the lead counsel. Apparently, allegedly, the story that we'd always heard, and I'd heard it confirmed from quite a few people that were in the office at that time, she was angry that we knuckle dragon Neanderthals were making more money than she was. And my comment to that then and now is, if, if you didn't like it, then there's nothing from stopping you to go join a wrestling school and learn it and come on up. And might you might have a little different respect for the for the wrestlers at that point. Uh, I can count all the way to 20, but you have to let me take my shoes off first, but I can do it. Uh it, it, it's infuriating to me. I mean, you heard me uh, you know, a few episodes ago talking about Terry Funk. Uh and I hope the the respect for me to Terry Funk and the love came through in that episode because he was brilliant at what he did. Hey, he didn't create the internet or cell phones or cured cancer, but boy, he entertained thousands, hundreds of millions of fans for decades. And that, and there's, there's something to that. I mean, the world needs, you know, uh, uh, actors and comedians and all the rest of allow us to forget about that twilight zone out there for a little bit. So the the fact that she would have this condescending, you know, how dare you make more money than me with a, with a uh, law degree, um, well, I was accepted to medical school and I stayed in wrestling. You know why? Cause I love wrestling more. I love medicine, but I love wrestling more. Um, and that was my decision. I can hardly say, well, damn, the doctor shouldn't be able to make that much more money than me. Uh, I had every right to be a doctor if I wanted to be a doctor. And so she played hardball for about a month where they, <laughs> this is what I'll date myself. I had a fax machine in my office <laughs> and I got faxed over a, a uh, uh release form and she's telling me I have to sign this. I said, well remind me where I requested this, Diana, and remind me why I have to sign anything. And last I checked my I do my lawyer tells me yes or no, that's you know where my decision comes from. And they try to play hardball with well, them, we're gonna do this and we're gonna that. And about a month in, I was on a conference call my lawyer, Eric Weissenberger, who's now a judge in uh, uh Norwalk, Ohio he uh did all my legal work for me and we had been friends since 1982 so he was well aware of my career and you know my accomplishments and my failures and all of it he he knew all of it and so he had a conference call with diana but he didn't tell her it was a conference call he said i don't want you to say anything just you know just listen and so he called her and he said to her uh you know well you know i've looked it over and the, the contract is clear uh if you have something in writing that my client requested this i'd like to see it but barring that if you don't start paying him by tuesday or wednesday whatever the day the checks went out he said we're going to assume that you're in breach of contract and be filing a lawsuit in federal court there was about a 12-hour period and then i got something again through the fax machine (laughs) coming through that uh that my checks were resuming that week And I did, I got paid, I think it was a little more than two years, which was fantastic at the time. Truth be known, I much would rather work for that that paycheck. And the week that WCW got sold, I might be a point or two off, but it was something like Vince did like a 7.9 or an 8 point, like in that range, and we did a 5.6, I believe was the the rating. So the head-to-head ratings, yeah, they were beating us, but we were still drawing a pretty large crowd, by today's standards, a massive crowd. And even at that time for other than wrestling, there were very few things on cable that were garnering five, six, seven, eights in the ratings. Um, so I when I last I checked on this like four or five years ago, in that same time slot, uh TNT had owned, the, the best rating they had done was a 1.3 and they'd averaged like a 0. 0.6 or something, like some minuscule number. So clearly in hindsight, this was a boneheaded move. Uh, so much so that it actually elicited a response from Ted Turner. Uh, uh Jamie Kellner, who was running uh, WCW and Time Warner at the time was having his first board meeting. And uh the meeting starts and the doors open and in walks Ted Turner, who has just sold this to Time Warner. So there's an exalted guy in this office building, right? So everybody jumps up and Hey, it's Ted Turner. Nice to, nice to see Ted here. And, uh, Jamie Kellner, of course, is gushing, right? Hey, Ted Turner's coming to see me take over the company. He walks up with his hand extended to shake hands with Ted Turner, and Ted puts his hand, finger in his face, and says, You ever get rid of another piece of this company that I personally brought to it? I uh, personally see so you don't work in this industry again. And Turner and walked out. Uh, boneheaded move mm-hmm. uh, for the network, boneheaded move for Time Warner. Uh, and you know, I would I would suggest that being at a 5.6 hardly meant that we were on our knees and out of the game, like we were out of ideas. We had a very talented locker room. Uh again, the the you know, the MBA courses being taught on how not to run a company. Um if they would have just done the right thing. And this is like again, this, I, I can't even point the finger at any one person and say this person, this or this person that. Uh there was just so much confusion. You know, you'd get to the TV taping, and all week you'd been talking to people on the phone, saying, okay, you're going to match this week with James. You have know, 10 minutes, and you know you up. Okay, good. So I'm coming up with ideas. And I'd get there, and I'd see Shane Douglas versus Taz, or whoever, I was plugging a name in there. Oh, wait, I thought it was James. Oh, it was, but. And then you see, like, Kevin Nash come in at times, and to would just, just sort of glance at the board and erase matches off and then write other matches in. And there was this feeling that, like, Who's in charge? Like, is Kevin in charge? Is, is Kevin Sullivan in charge? Is Vince Russo in charge? Is Bischoff in charge? Is anybody in charge? And it really just became you know, the dog circling to, to grab his own tail. And no company can succeed like that. But the 5.6, had anybody stepped in, if Jamie Kevin stepped in and said, okay, WCW, enough of the bullshit. Get this fixed. Get it in a direction. Get it okay. and do it uh that would take leadership um and it's just a whole lot easier to sell it for pennies on the dollar am i going crazy here or
0: for, was it like henry rollins or someone like that was like briefly on wcw's
1: booking committee like some musician who turned up mm, i think so yes was it, was yeah, it Henry claro. Rollins? i believe so when you, it's funny you said that because it was just popping into my head and as soon as you said the name like it Every time I see him on, I could watch a lot of documentaries and stuff, and I'll see him, and I'm like, I know I've met him somewhere, and then yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was Henry Rollins, but there were others too. There was a, uh, oh, what the hell was the name of the group? Uh, But but Misfits, bald guy. No, well, the Misfits, they were they were involved, but like on camera. Yeah, but there was somebody from like one of those, like. I don't want to say grunge or, or punk. Like one of those, uh, what the hell is it? It's at the tip of my tongue. And like, so when Billy Corgan started coming around, Rusty, it, it just sort of fit like, cause there were these people were always sort of dabbling around, but there was a guy on the booking committee, bald head and glasses that was in one of those groups at the time in the nineties. It was fairly big. And, uh, I can't, really, 10 minutes after we've done done recording, it'll pop into my head. But he was on the booking meeting. Uh, Rollins was there at some point. It, yeah, there's a lot of this, and it was I, I guess the the acumen was well, like Billy Corden, he's a great musician, right? Writes great songs. Should make a great booker. Mm-hmm. And again, like it, it, I respect, I love Billy's music. Uh, does that mean I should like? I'm waiting for Billy to call me so he and I can sit down and write a hit album. Because I, and I don't mean to be like condescending like that, but. How, offend, how offended would he be if I called him? Hey, Billy, I've been waiting for you to call, man. I've got some great ideas for an album. I've never recorded an album in my life. My son already talks light years beyond like my musicianship. I'm sure he would take that offensively. Hey, dude, like, you think it's easy? To write? If it were easy, everybody would do it, right? And, uh, well, we take it the same way. There's somebody coming in. I don't care how accomplished you are in another field. To, to suddenly come in and say, well, hey, I'm here, and it's going to be great. Um Nothing against any of those guys. You have to know wrestling in order to be able to write wrestling. How many Rollins?
0: Just, anyway, uh, (laughs) what did you you say before? They teach classes in universities how not to run a business and use WCW as the example. (laughs) Listen, uh, we are going to shut down the podcast now. Thank you very much for sending your questions in from nine months ago. Uh, Next next Q&A we do, I promise we'll have some fresh questions and uh, (laughs) we will solicit them and uh, we'll figure out a way of doing that. But for now, thank you very much for watching, Shane. Do you want to do the
1: outro or shall I do it? No do it hey, appreciate everybody tuning in to Franchise University and learning a little bit more wisdom, but now it's class dismissed. <laughs>